Bienvenido, ahora está escuchando el Paseo Podcast, donde destacamos las historias de, por y para la comunidad puertorriqueña. Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smyzer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. I want to share a quick announcement with you at the top of the show. For the month of December, I'll be taking a vacation. So this week's episode is the last episode of the Paseo podcast until the start of the new year in January 2020. Some of the reasoning behind that is just it's the holidays. I'm taking a class in New York for my master's program. I'm, all, I'm also going to be taking a few other courses. So it's going to be an intense month. Out of respect for you, the listener, just want to give you a heads up. I will be taking the month of December off, but don't worry. I have some bonus content to share with you between now and the start of the new year. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get into this week's episode. Just in time for Thanksgiving, on today's episode of the Paseo Podcast, we welcome Chef Roberto Perez to talk about, you guessed it, food. He is the founder of Urban Pilon and is a damn good cocinero. So we are looking forward to talking all things food with Roberto. Welcome to the show, Roberto. What should we know about you? Who are you? Oh, man. there's. I feel like there's a lot of facets that has layers, that question, but... Um, I mean, there is a lot. Like, I was on your, like, your website. Like, we Yeah, I was on your Urban Pilon website, and I'm like, I see chef, musician, researcher, part of Bomba Combuya. Like, the list goes on and on of all the stuff you're in, and it feels like you're just scratching the surface of yeah. who you are. Thank you. So I could understand how me asking that is just yeah, like, hmm, but I think I'm here for the cooking stuff, though. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm here for the cooking, for representing Urban Pilon. Those yeah. other things are things that I love that are big big passions um but but i think i'm here for for urban pilon which is the the company that i represent which is to me it's more more of just a company i feel like it's this social conscious movement of of of, of healthy food and a different image of how we want to look at puerto rican food and 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 food of of the caribbean in general with Thanksgiving coming up, we really want to take a deeper dive into food, how we consume it, how we think about food. And I've actually had your food in person, and I can attest it's delicious <laughs> for everybody that's listening. It is good. It's worth your taste Thank buds. You. Treat your taste buds to a treat. Um, so you mentioned Urban Pilon. What is Urban Pilon? Okay, so Urban Pilon is something that um, was, was in my thoughts about 10 years ago. I think I was seeking out different things like mofongo in the city, which was kind of hard to come by, believe it or not. Also, I think that, but rewinding a little bit, there was a few incidents in my life that really kind of were like clave, they were really key in, in, my, in my life. Um, one, I got sick with uh, cirrhosis of the liver. Um, 
with this workout supplement that I was taking. And food helped me recover. It helped me recover from five months, which was the estimated time that the doctors gave me, uh, to, to being back and working in a month and a half. Mm. And so food was able to do that for me. It was my medicine at that time. And I could attest to that, and I feel like I'm a living testimony to that. Maybe I took that for granted, mm. but I don't anymore. About two years after that, my son, he developed some uh, pretty serious dietary restrictions. And so reading labels then was really elevated, mm -hmm. um, was really, really important to me because I wanted to make sure that I was going to take care of him and all his needs. And I had to check things like carbs that I never looked at, synthetics mm. that I never looked at. I had to look at all these, you know, the sugar and the salt and all these things, just noticing all these things that are on the labels that we can't pronounce. It was kind of eye-opening for me. I never really paid that much attention to it, but for sure now I do. Yeah, these very extreme moments in our lives have to hit us before we start looking at the things we consume to actually right. like look at some of the stuff that's put in our food like it can have like dire consequences to our diets, right. whether we're dealing with some type with something serious or even it's just basic healthy eating. Yeah, just just adding to that, I think it's important that we don't wait until we're 25, 50 pounds overweight, that we don't wait until we have to go to the hospital and the doctor tells us that we're pre-diabetic or that our cholesterol is bad or and, and uh, there's things that we can do to kind of uh, prevent that from happening. So you mentioned, you know, kind of being in this situation where you are reading, you're kind of almost forced to start reading labels and it's that aha moment that maybe I need to look at the food I consume, the food my family consumes a bit differently. Would you, would you say that is why you're so passionate about cooking? Or did you always have a passion for cooking before I mean, before the 10-year mark. Yeah, I think I think especially now, I think it's really so important, especially now that today I have a platform and the reason why I'm here and I'm teaching classes and I have for the last four years, the fact that I have that platform, if I am going to teach the students BS, then I feel very responsible hmm. Um, for that. I need, I feel like almost somewhat a, a responsible leader to to really make sure that people, that we take care of ourselves. So I think, yeah, I think. That's I th definitely a passion of mine. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. I think it's it's good to be passionate about something that can really lead to some long-term health and fitness. Right. Um, I think a lot of people, when it comes to like working out, they're like, oh man, I got hit the gym, I'm hitting these weights. But if you're just pumping your body full of garbage, you could work out as much as you want. And right. It's probably not going right. to go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, the benefits of eating well is definitely layered. You named Urban Pilon. Porque? Why, why Urban? Why the word Pilon? What is a Pilon for people that right. may not know? Right. So like a molcajete or a mortar and pestle. Um, some people would call it a moltero. Um, it has different names, but it's, although um, it's not um, something that's particular only to Puerto Rico, um, it is known as something really key and something really rustic about 
cooking because one of our staples is mofongo, and mofongo should be made in a, in a pilon. So in Puerto Rico or in the Caribbean, usually they are made out of wood. Is that, and I asked you before we, we started recording, but I thought the pilon was specific to the Caribbean. Right. And you had mentioned that you have pilons from the continent of Africa. Right, right, right. And you have how many pilons that you've about collected? 45, yeah, 45. About 45, yeah, about 45. 45 pilons, everybody. <laughs> just think about that. And they're not just ones that fit in the palm of your hand. No. We're talking all shapes and sizes yeah. from different, different right, parts of the right, world. Right. Why do you think... I mean, how do you think the the pilon has become to just kind of be this piece of of the cooking process in so many different parts of the world? Does that did that originate in Africa, and was that brought over maybe? Possibly, and like his, okay. possibly. Yeah. I mean, since um, mankind uh, developed in Africa, I'm pretty sure that it was something to uh, grind corn in the mm-hmm. Americas. They uh, would grind acorn to make um, to make bread. Mm-hmm. There's acorn bread. Um, there's different things that I'm sure it was used for. To yeah, I mean, if if we see the migration of humans, yeah. right? They went from Africa through the Bering Strait into mm-hmm. the Americas. I would say definitely in Africa and then came to the Americas. Yeah. yeah. So what else can you use a pilon for? So you mentioned the main purpose is mashing. Yeah. So garlic, right? Okay. People use it for guacamole in the molcajete, or people will use it for mofongo. People will use it for, you know, all types of different things that you could blend in it. I use it for my class, and every class I bring a different pilon, and we use it to, to grind our ingredients there in class. Where do you normally have your classes? So... I'd say my my headquarters for my classes has been in Humble Park, has been at San Lucas Church. Thank you, San Lucas, for trusting me with your sacred space. Mm. But it's it's been nomadic. It's popped up in different places. I'm doing classes in Albany Park and um, have done classes pretty much everywhere in the city. Done them at the Boathouse, done them for the high school students at Albizu Campos. It sounds like the the cooking and the location of that cooking is dependent on people reaching out to you and requesting to set up a class right. wherever they you know wherever they operate right many times yes yeah. sometimes I do events just where I do history mm-hmm. and right before we have our food and right before I, we do our dinners yeah you know it, it's more than just selling plates it's learning about history for sure is and is this something the cooking that you do is that something that you do for just organizations or is that like have you ever gone to someone's yes. home and yes. been like I'm gonna do a, okay yeah all right cool so you I've do done like everything. private events I feel like I've done right. everything yeah. I've done, <laughs> you know weddings and quinces birthday parties yeah. social events you know awesome. I've done them all I think that's great yeah you actually saw you cooking for an event uh the other weekend it was uh to celebrate Lolita Lebron it was a fundraiser put on by Lolita Productions yeah. we had the cohefas in the studio a couple weeks ago the food you made was delicious can you tell us more i just want to give our listeners a sense of the intentionality that you put in when you cook can you tell us a little bit about the menu that you put together for that event okay so my intention was i wanted um to cook what i felt lolita lebron would want to eat so that was what i wanted to make lolita proud Mm -hmm. 
So what I did was I did my best um, to do research to find those people that were around when Lolita was alive and just find out the things that she loved to eat, the things that that she ate, um, and wanted to know about her diet, some of the history. I know that she also loved agriculture and was trying to develop um, El Festival o Fiesta del Maíz. Mm -hmm. So corn was something that she was trying to bring back to Puerto Rico. There are a lot of things that that she ate, and that's pretty much what I did. So I wanted to incorporate then corn in what I made. So I made a Caribbean curry corn. Mm -hmm. When you think about curry, you don't necessarily think about the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about the British Islands, there were many um, after slavery in the British Islands, then the British brought people from their biggest colony, which was India, to the Caribbean. And so that's why we in the Caribbean have curries mm -hmm. and different things that are influenced by by, by the Indian population. Wow. My yeah, gosh. That was it. Yeah. That's my weakness, food. <laughs> Anything, any discussion about food, anytime there's food in the room, like, ah, uh, it, it, it is my kryptonite. Yeah. Um, let's talk about cooking food, though. Okay. Do you have any pet peeves when it comes to the process of cooking? Maybe it's something that... Yeah. Maybe it's something in your process or something that you see when other people cook. Yeah. What are some pet peeves? I do, I do have a pet peeve, and I think it's the pet peeve, and as I mentioned before about the responsibility of having a platform and being responsible when you have that platform. And so I see that there's people that have platforms that use um, things that are synthetics mm -hmm. or use things that have food dyes. And I think that's very irresponsible. Mm. I don't think that's cool at all. And so that's a pet peeve. I mean, I could hear it in my voice, like getting mm. upset because I think that, you know, a lot of those things are linked to, to cancer, mm -hmm. uh, to a lot of illness. And we have a responsibility to, to do better by our community. So that's a pet peeve of mine. Um, uh, another pet peeve is the the big corporations that 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 make profits off of our community mm -hmm. and they sell us this BS, and so people get sick and they make a lot of money off of us, and they have a responsibility and I don't feel like they're doing us justice. Um, Sazon, Goya de paquete, that package is is I would say probably corporate number one. Um, that's illegal in a lot of countries, mm -hmm. but we're, we're so loyal to the brand. Mm -hmm. We're so loyal to the brand. I mean, yeah, we just have to think about it. That stuff came out in the sixties. That stuff is not my, my culture and my traditions are a lot older than the 1960s. Mm -hmm. My stuff has been around for a long time. And so has our communities. Our culture is a lot older than that. Oh, great point. Sasson is something I've tried to stay away from. That has uh, a, a number of things in it, but one thing in particular is Red 40. Right. And I think a lot of people notice that. Um, if you have, if you don't know what Red 40 is and you're listening to this, look it up. You won't be happy. Um, that's also in Hot Cheetos, which might right. not make a lot of our listeners happy, and Takis mm -hmm. too. So mm -hmm. like a lot of the stuff that you would think um, doesn't have like similar ingredients is like in the stuff that we consume that has almost become synonymous with Latinx culture, yep. not just Puerto Rican culture, Correct. but like, so it's almost like, um, maybe I'm not using the word correctly, but it's almost like this insidious 
seeping in of just these poor ingredients and on top of the puerto rican diet which is so relies so much on like greasy food and fried food you know how the heck do we how the heck do we challenge ourselves as puerto ricans to not rely so heavily on that so that is that is exactly the the uh, the stereotypes that i i want to like stay away from or i want to that i'm fighting against i feel like i'm fighting against that grain where you know, when I, whenever I cook or whenever we cook, I I try to do my best to to navigate um, around those things, mm-hmm. which can sometimes be hard. Um, or I'll use um, you know always you know natural ingredients, mm-hmm. or maybe instead of frying it, I'll bake it. Or you know, I I just think that w- when you start with the foundation from scratch. And you do things from scratch. I think, you know, I think and we have access here in Chicago, especially yeah. to a lot of great things that maybe um, our grandparents didn't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a lot of we have access to a lot of fruits and vegetables that we can get that we're familiar with. Yeah, we're familiar with. And if we look in in, in the recipe books of the past all those things were eaten. All these healthy things that you may associate maybe with gringos and stuff. Mm-hmm. That stuff was eaten in Puerto Rico. Puerto Ricans right. have eaten that stuff. And we could we could we can say no to 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 the same five things that you see like in, in some of the Chicago restaurants that are stuck in the eighties mm-hmm. and the frozen stuff and and real just eat real food, real Puerto Rican food. Because Puerto mm-hmm. Rico has really stepped it up. Um, the culinary world in Puerto Rico has really elevated itself, and and in this hemisphere is gonna be if it's not already just something that really people are going to really respect if they don't already. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Yeah, I definitely think we need to push ourselves on how we think about Puerto Rican cuisine. It can't just all be pastelillos and Correct. and acapurias. You right. know what I mean? Correct. There's there's so there's much more. So there's so much more. Yeah. So much more. And then we look at what the Tainos would have eaten. I doubt that they had a fryer on hand to make some bacalaitos. You know what I mean? They ate right. that cod fresh. 
Right. Um, so we can definitely make that Puerto Rican cuisine, bring that into the 21st century. I agree. Um, sorry, I'm like on my soapbox there. You're making me passionate uh, here about no, food. No, I mean, it's, it's right. I yeah, mean, it's yeah. right. So what would, what would you recommend, just in that same conversation of challenging ourselves in the way we look at Puerto Rican cuisine? Yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up this week. Right. What advice or suggestions do you have for people, maybe like a, a particular dish that you think would be good for someone that's just getting their start at cooking for right. themselves or for others? And what would be a dish that you'd recommend for someone that's a bit more challenging? Maybe they've been cooking for a while, consider themselves a pro, quote unquote pro. You know, do you have an advanced one and kind of like a beginner dish that people should try? An advanced one, I would say, is why don't you try... Um, people are so afraid of cooking fish. Mm-hmm. People are afraid of cooking fish. Um, is that because it stinks? No. no? It oh, okay. I mean, if it stinks, it's probably <laughs> I mean, bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can lime oh, it up. There's things yeah. you can do to fix that. Um, but but maybe do do fish. Do yeah. fish. I love fish. Um, seafood, something. And just challenge yourself to maybe instead of putting a dry bird in the oven for six hours, try doing a fish. And a fish, really, to be honest with you, will be less than... It, let's see, if you bake it, I mean, it'll be less than an hour. Mm. If you fry it, it'll be about 20 minutes, depending on how big the fish is. But it really, it's, it's, it's something that can be done, and we can, we can do it more, I think. We don't have to be necessarily so afraid of it or intimidated by fish. Fish, um, after you do it a while, then it's really not as hard as, as we think it is. Things like shrimp. Mm-hmm. Shrimp pretty much needs no time to cook you put it towards the end and it goes from that gray to the pink and that's pretty much it it's done you know you do that towards the end it's like five minutes um shrimp is something that's really easy or maybe um try cooking instead of the big turkey which is done once a year Probably for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can definitely talk about that. We can talk about that. Just yeah. done once a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just don't like it so yeah. much. People <laughs> like chicken; it's more moist. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe cooking chickens or Cornish hens in the same way, mm-hmm. smaller birds that can really contain a lot of the juices a lot easier. Um, if you're going to do turkey, then I would suggest definitely covering it up really well so the moisture stays inside. It's like that. Yeah, maybe go hunting for sharks or something. Shark, <laughs> That's really the advanced. Sh- yeah, right. put the gold shark on the table. That's really advanced. Um, what's your favorite Puerto Rican dish? That's a great question because yeah. I feel like there's so much that maybe I haven't even had it. Yeah. Mm. Because you're talking about hundreds of years of history. Mm-hmm. You're talking about all the different families, all the different regions. You're talking about people from Vieques and Culebra. You're talking about people from the coast. You're talking about people from the mountains. You're talking about the African influences. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the Taino influences. You're talking about all the colonizing powers that tried to come into Puerto Rico. Yep. There's a lot there. So I probably mm. still have not even had it. Mm. As small as Puerto Rico is, it's diverse like that. And now, now imagine the Caribbean in a, in a whole. Look at how advanced. I mean, like the Caribbean is more than just like jerk chicken, mm-hmm. or like arroz con gandules. It's so much more than just that. There's twenty something different ways to make rice. 
you don't have to eat the same stuff all the time. Just saying. Sorry, yeah. I, I went on that, but no, it's all but good. that's how maybe I have not had it, but I think that mofongo, as simple as it is, people have found a way to mess it up, mm. but in its freshness and paired with something like a guisado, like a stew, something like that, which probably you see that that trend and those staples kind of go that that um that starch with different proteins that are saucy all throughout the African diaspora. You mm -hmm. see it from West Africa. You see it with mangu in the Dominican Republic. You see it in Trinidad with the cuckoo and the different mm -hmm. types of fish. You see it in Puerto Rico. But these are all parts of like the different African diasporas. And I love that and the parallels that the Caribbean and West Africa also has. But I think it has history it has flavor, um, and so I think mofongo is something that I would have to go with. Yeah, good mofongo is hard to come by. I totally, I second that. There's probably no bigger cooking holiday in the United States than Thanksgiving. Are you planning to celebrate Thanksgiving? Do you, If so, do you have like a menu that you have in mind that you're planning to cook? Is there anything you're looking forward to cooking? Yeah, it, it, for me, Thanksgiving is also a time for me to highlight and, and go crazy and do a lot of different things mm -hmm. and just like do 10 different plates and just have all my friends and family try it. Nice. And so Thanksgiving is a, is a time for me to cook. Um, Any time where, where you could be with family and friends and share something of intimacy, which cooking is and eating is, mm -hmm. then that's great. And it's good for our souls. Mm. It's good for us as humans. So I don't want to, I know that it is a colonizer type of, of holiday, mm -hmm. but you could totally uh, turn that around and do something like, food of the Americas mm -hmm. and do yuca and do yautia and do uh, fish of the Caribbean. Uh, Caribbean, you could do conch. You can do all these different things. Uh, you don't have to um, do the same old boring stuff. Mm. You could totally change it around and do the things that, that you eat anyways. Pasteles are, are beautiful. You can sure. do pasteles. Pasteles also is complex. Mm -hmm. Have you ever... I may not put this in the episode, but <laughs> have you ever baked pasteles? The Just ayakas, speaking of pasteles. Yeah. Um, I had some baked pastela. I, I what had, did you do? Well, I thought it was great. I yeah, thought they were better than yeah. boiling it, to be honest. I had, um, my wife and I had gotten some yuca pasteles from yeah. my abuela. Yeah. And uh, we were super pumped. We got so excited, we forgot to boil them. Okay. So we opened it up, the packaging, and we're like, oh, shoot, you what the heck we got to do yuca, with this? Well, you know, <laughs> I'll have to look on that to be continued. Um, but uh, we ended up baking it. Okay. And it ended up tasting fire. It was which, fire. It which, tasted great. Which is very similar to what Tainos did mm -hmm. with the ayacas, mm -hmm. which were probably done on a thing called a buren, mm -hmm. which is like a comal um, in Mexico. It's like that flat that flat pan. Mm -hmm. and um, But that is, without you knowing it, you, you pretty much made something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you may. And uh, it, it's, not or a, not. it's not yeah. a strange thing, though. Yeah. It's yeah. not a strange thing. One of the ways that I love to make pasteles because I'm, you know, I don't like necessarily wrapping a mm -hmm. hundred pasteles. Mm -hmm. 
I, I will do um, pasteles al caldero. So I make all the masa. I, I, I uh, blend up all the masa. You got to make your masa really flavorful because people are going to eat a lot of masa. Mm -hmm. So don't feed people boring ass um, masa. And so what I do is I load that up with a lot of flavor, but I get a big caldero and I cook it slowly in the caldero in the olla. Dang. You know, you add liquid or you could maybe add some stock as you go mm -hmm. and then you make your masa. That's where it's going to cook. It's going to take time. But it also takes a lot of time wrapping up 100 pasteles. Yeah. So I'm okay with that. So it's kind of like a de deconstructed pastel. So then you mm -hmm. put the banana leaf, you put the masa on top that has been cooked in the caldero, and then you could put all types of proteins mm. that you want. You can do bacalao guisado, you could do chicken, you can do anything you want. I love that so much. Um, you know, this cooking doesn't have to be boring. Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be boring. It can be culturally appropriate. Yes. We need to deconstruct how we look at Thanksgiving and just the colonialist right. roots that it has. I think we kind of buy into like what you were right. saying, like, we got to have turkey. Yeah. We don't always have to have turkey. Have to have... We can make it culturally relevant no, to us correct. and almost reclaim that space. Correct. Yeah, correct. Correct. And, and, you know, and it helps. It helps also the way we look at ourselves just in general, you know, our diet is a big part of our identity and we grasp onto that, especially in the diaspora, so hardcore that there's, but, but there's a lot for us to learn. Mm -hmm. Don't stop at whatever it is that they feed you here. Mm -hmm. Don't stop there. There's a lot to learn. So beyond this podcast, how can people continue to learn from you? How can they continue to stay up to date and all the things that you got going on in your world? Where should they go to follow you? Urban Pilong on Instagram, on Facebook. I have a website. I do still uh, answer all my emails the best that I can. If I can't give you that recipe, I try my best. I swear to you, I really do try my best. But there's a lot of people asking me for recipes, Ooh. and I cannot answer everybody yeah so i apologize are you a big sharer of recipes i or love is that something? to share okay this is not not every chef does want to share their recipes most don't yeah i would say most don't the the one of the big purposes as to why i do what i do is because i want people to learn i want people to cook i want people to to learn about our history i want i want this to be something of a life lesson for us i don't want i'm not here to sell you plates mm. if i could change lives and i could change the way you eat and maybe you won't be sick in 10 years mm -hmm. then i've done what i want to do well, we plan to keep an eye on everything you do. Thank Roberto, you. thank you so much for being on the Paseo Podcast Love today. It. Thank you. Thanks again to Chef Roberto Perez for coming on the show. We appreciate him taking time out of his day, especially with the holidays approaching. Hopefully you got some good food suggestions and perspective from our conversation today. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, paseomedia.org, emailing us at paseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at paseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, 
We love to hear from you. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I will be taking December off because of the holidays, as well as taking time to study for my master's program. But between now and then, I will be dropping bonus content. So keep your eyes locked on the Basel podcast for new content as it becomes available. Until then, thanks for downloading this episode. I'll see you in the new year. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And cuídate.